Welcome to the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and I'm a former doctor turned lifestyle entrepreneur. Each week, I interview some of the best minds on the planet on the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. Come take this journey with me. Excuses are over. It's time to live. I grew up addicted to food, and, and I use that word purposefully because it's what it was. I became addicted. I started to look to it, for it, to fill all of my emotional needs. At a certain point, there's no level of information that will help somebody. It's not about the information. It's about our relationship with food. Everybody has deeply emotional relationships with food. So no matter how successful you get in life, if you're not working on your health, if you're not paying attention and sourcing yourself in that area, then you're missing the baseline. And no matter how good it gets, it's never going to get as good as it could be. Okay, before we jump into this interview, I want to invite you to be considered for my 2019 Traveling Mastermind. So go to workhardplayhardmastermind.com and fill out the application and we'll jump on a call to see if you're a great fit. This year, we'll be in Boston doing lots of cool things like training with Tom Brady's trainer, Alex Guerrero. In the middle of the year, we'll be heading to Monaco doing things like vintage car rides through the French Riviera. And then we're going to wrap the year in Florence, Italy, doing things like truffle hunting and hot air ballooning over Florence. Look, Life is all about fulfillment, and I really try and walk the walk. So if you are looking to be part of our tribe of 28 high-achieving entrepreneurs that are in the six- and seven-figure range, fill out your application at workhardplayhardmastermind.com to be considered. So think of the mastermind as having two parts. The first is the trip itself. And the second part is what goes on over the four days within the mastermind. Our group of 28 entrepreneurs will help you brainstorm and accelerate what you want to achieve in 2019. And we'll do that through a variety of different exercises, brainstorming activities, breakout sessions, goal setting sessions, you know the drill. So go to workhardplayhardmastermind.com, fill out an application, and we'll jump on a call to see if you're a fit. All right, let's jump into today's episode. What's up, everybody? This is Rob Murgatroyd, and welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. This episode features Daniel Thomas Hines. I love guys with three names, Daniel Thomas Hines. It reminds me of like a television show from the 80s. It's so good. You can find him on Instagram and elsewhere at, wait for it, Daniel Thomas Hines. So who is Daniel? Daniel Thomas Hines is the founder and CEO of Evolution Eat. He's a transformational health and lifestyle coach that helps workaholics get in the best shape of their life. He also helps founders and executives develop self-mastery, focus, and leadership skills. All right. So I wanted to have Daniel on the show, number one, because he helps executive CEOs Think about getting in shape in a very refreshing and unique way than I've seen before. But also for personal reasons, he comes from an Upper East Side, New York City background that my whole life I longed to be a part of. You know, I was just a kid from Queens. So when I get to uh, have a conversation about what it was really like, you know, getting behind the kimono of an Upper East Side, New York City guy, I ask a lot of questions. And I also want to know why he wakes up 
and jumps in the ice cold ocean in Santa Monica every morning. All right, so a lot of people have been asking me about private coaching. I am working with a select few people that are ready to make a change in their life. Not thinking about it, but ready to make a change. If you happen to fall into that category, go to workhardplayhardcoaching.com, fill out an application. And if it looks like we're a good fit, we'll jump on a call and we'll talk about it. All right, please enjoy this conversation I had with Daniel Thomas Hind. Daniel, welcome to the show. Rob, it is a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. You know what, man? I am so excited to talk about this. We have a lot in common, more in common than you know, and we'll talk about some of those things as we sort of go through this. So thank you for taking the time. Well, it's it's a pleasure to be here, and I'm excited to learn about you as much as uh, as much as you're going to learn about me today as well. Awesome. Okay, so I think... A good starting off point would be to kind of just dig into your space in in the world of diet, exercise, eating. And I, I kind of want to do it through the lens of you growing up in the 90s in that environment. I think most people listening, even if they didn't grow up in the 90s, they sort of, you know, the reason why I use the Soprano reference, uh, gangster aside, is, you know, they love to eat, you know? And yeah. so my question for you is, you know, in what way... Did that influence your eating decisions, you know, back at that time? Being Italian, food equals love. And there was a lot of love growing up. You know, it was a way to, it was a way for my mother to share love with me. It was a way for our family to get together. It's just part of the equation of being a family. Food is love. Food is connection. And there's, you know, that's a, that's a beautiful thing, but I'm only, I'm also an only child, and both of my parents worked full time, so I was left to myself a lot. So food became quickly became friend, it quickly became entertainment. You know, it was something that I knew would make me feel really good, without fail. And so I grew up that way, constantly looking to food to make me feel something, maybe because I was bored or lonely or, you know, even or, or on the other side, I'd done well at school. It was a reward, you know, a way to celebrate. Uh, God, also growing up in the in the 90s with the fast food nation, that's when all the fast food drive through joints were popping up, you know, or becoming highly popularized. So McDonald's was... Uh, uh, was a favorite of mine, and God bless the the horrible genius who came up with the Monopoly game, where you gamify your eating and get the whole family addicted to <laughs> to the fast food. I mean, brilliant marketing, horrible for our health, but uh, you know, I, I just remember the excitement every time playing the Monopoly game at McDonald's. It was uh, you know, you want to you want to win, you want to win the prize, and you keep coming back for more. So. A uh, long-winded way of saying, I grew up <laughs> addicted to food, and and I use that word purposefully because it's what it was. I became addicted. I started to look to it for it to fill all of my emotional needs. And of course, I wasn't aware of this at the time, but in retrospect, that was very clear. And it shaped who I was growing up, and it shaped who I am 
uh, into my adulthood. And obviously, it shaped all of the work that I've done since having become an entrepreneur. And, and, and it's the foundation of what we teach at Evolution Eats, which is my company. And I'm happy to dive into all that, but I've already spoken a lot. So I'll just pause here. Yeah, no, no. I mean, it's, it's good because you're, what you're doing is you're sort of giving me perspective. You know, a lot of this is emotional. We don't realize that it's emotional. A lot of it's emotional. And a lot of it is, you know, subconscious programming of just all the shit that we see all around us all the time. And, you know, some of that emotional stuff that you, you know, some of those emotional decisions, you know, uh, that you went through during that time, you know, resulted in you, let's say, not looking the way you wanted to look when you were a kid. How did that feeling of being, you know, husky, I don't know if they use that word anymore, but how did that feeling of being husky affect you when it was, you know, summertime at the pool? <laughs> yeah, um, I hope they don't use that word anymore, but I'll never forget uh, the first day of first grade. I went to a, a Catholic school, small little Catholic school in Garden City where uh, where I grew up in Long Island. And the, the first day of first grade was the only day that you could come to school wearing your normal normal person clothes. But what what we got was our, our uniform. <laughs> I love... I, Uniforms for little kids. It's like 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 little suits for kids. I just think it's like a hilarious concept. But, it's like um, Garanimals, anyway. yeah. Right. So, and not not to mention we had to represent our school colors, which were green and yellow. So you you you're getting your your green and yellow uniform. It's just like what a ridiculous concept. But um, I'll never forget the first day because our our teacher, when we're all sitting down in class, uh, she calls us up to each each kid individually up to the front of the room to get their uniforms and. You know, it's like, you know, Jenny, small, uh, uh, Nicholas, large, uh, Daniel, husky, right? And, you know, it, it, it affects you, you know, especially when you're a little kid. My God, you internalize that. And you, 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 you pretend like it's not a big deal. You, you laugh it off because the other kids are laughing it off. And you, you got to get used to it because... Eh, because when people are laughing at you, uh, you 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 have a choice. You have a choice to let that either crush you, or you have a choice to let that kind of uh, influence your personality. Somebody who can dance with the funnies, right? And so you become funny, uh, and you better because when you're when you're fat, embarrassed is an identity that you wear on a regular basis, but the, the deep down, it, it, it really hurt. Yeah, for sure. You know, if we fast forward a few years to your high school and college years, you went to, uh, to Regis high school, uh, on the Upper East side, which is an amazing school. And then you went to Georgetown, which is another amazing school. And you don't get into either of those schools unless you are a type a overachiever. Can you, <laughs> you know, sort of talk to me about what what that was like back then or what your drive was like back then and how that level of intensity affected you in subsequent years? Um, it was very challenging, but it was also my deepest sense of pride. So getting into Regis was a big deal for me when I was 14 years old. It was, uh, for anybody who who isn't aware, and I, I doubt they would be, it's, it's, um, it's a all scholarship, all private Jesuit high school in New York. And kids from the tri-state area uh, 
attend. And so for me, coming from Long Island, I had to commute every day. It was like an hour and a half commute each way. And, you know, to, to be honest, I was a smart ass growing up uh, from, from like up until that point in time, I was smart and I knew that I was smart, but I didn't think I was on any, like, I, w- I didn't think I was special in any way. But once I got into Regis, people were sure to tell me that I was very special, right? Gifted. And these words were thrown around by adults in the in the town. I mean, my school made a huge deal about it. Uh, my little, my little, little uh, Catholic school, St. Joe's, made a huge deal about it. And I internalized all this. So like as a 14-year-old, I made a contract with myself at that time that this was a very important deal. <laughs> I have to start treating life very seriously. And... Um, I didn't know it at the time, but I unconsciously like killed off the child in me because here I am, Mr. Special, who has to go to commute to high school every day alongside the lawyers and the bankers who are getting on the 5.30 train in the morning <laughs> to Manhattan you know, with my cup of coffee, and I'm living an adult life. And uh, I better not screw this up because this is my ticket to success, capital success, whatever that means. All right. So then that sort of moves you into an area um, of paleo. So somewhere after college, you made the decision to step into eating paleo. For those that don't know exactly what that is, can you describe it and maybe tell us what led you to test driving it? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So very simple, a paleo diet uh, or lifestyle is one that uh, mimics our uh, the lifestyle of our evolutionary ancestors pre uh, pre agriculture, right? So hunter gatherer societies who predominantly ate. Uh, so the uh, so the belief goes, and so the research goes, who predominantly ate uh, well certainly foods that were grown or uh, born on earth, land, and sea. So uh, animals, uh, fish, lots of healthy fats, healthy proteins, vegetables, some fruits, uh, but certainly ones that weren't necessarily as sweet as today, some roots, tubers, nuts, seeds, these sort of things, right? So a very, what they call clean diet these days. And, uh, I came across, I came across the paleo diet, uh, right after I graduated from college, my first job was at a talent agency called William Morris Endeavor, WME. It's, yeah, that and WME and CAA are like the two biggest talent agencies in the world. This is when I was still living in New York. So I was in the New York office and I, uh, I was an assistant to a literary agent at the time and a bunch of books would come across his desk. What's up, Jay Mandel? If you would ever listen to this, it was a pleasure to work for you. A bunch of books came across his desk. And um, and one day, uh, The Paleo Solution by Rob Wolf uh, was just sitting there. And I, you know, a publisher had, had sent it over for review or whatnot. And I was fascinated by it. I had never heard of it before. But something about the philosophy and the principles struck me. It asked a very simple question what did our ancient ancestors eat? Clearly, we as a society, as a culture, are not doing well on this this whole health thing, right? 
<laughs> obesity numbers are, are, are worse than ever before. Uh, just, uh, and this is a decade ago, so people weren't necessarily as clued into the whole clean eating thing as they are now. I, I'm really happy with how the culture has shifted and, and is more aware. But at the time, this sort of stuff was, 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 was pretty new. So I, I loved the simplicity of it. Just ask the question, if we evolved as a species in survival of the fittest, then what were we eating uh, as, uh, as a people that would have gotten us here? And how is that different than what it is today? And what were the trends that led to the difference, right? So there's industrial revolution changed the way that we eat. Prior to that, the agricultural revolution changed the way that we, eat it. So, uh, that, that we ate. So it asked that very simple question. And that to me was eye-opening. So I dove in. And without going into all the details, I just gave myself, you know, the simple measure of let's try this for a month and see how you feel. And you know, that was the beginning of uh, that was that was the first major transformation in my life. It wasn't just that I lost a bunch of weight, which was true. It's that I felt in control of myself for the first time. That's beautiful. What brought you out to LA? Was it working for William Morris from New York or did you just decide that you wanted to move to California? During my time at William Morris Endeavor, I realized, oh, I don't want to... This is a great job if you want to be an agent, but I don't want to be an agent. I want to be the talent. So <laughs> apropos of nothing other than other than being highly charismatic and and being really proud about the way that I started to look uh, based on having lost a bunch of weight and, and, and so forth, I decided I'm going to become an actor. <laughs> and I studied as a stage actor for two years in New York uh, concurrently while I was working at, at William Morris Endeavor. Went to conservatory at nights and on the weekends and and learn how to become a, a stage actor. And, and at the completion of that conservatory program, I uh, got representation representation in, in Los Angeles and, and moved out here. I want to, like the asterisk on that bit of the story is, and, and <laughs> is that that choice to become an actor was one made not from a sense of empowerment, but from a sense of disempowerment there was it uh, coming back to this, the, the conversation that we had about growing up and uh, being a, an academic and highly competitive academic, but and, and chasing success, you know, the one thing that I had never asked myself during those years was what do you really want to do? You know, what do you actually want to do for yourself in this life? How, how do you want to make a contribution to your life and to, to others? I never asked that. It was always just, how do you want to get ahead? And so while I was working at William Morris Endeavor, although I discovered this whole new way of eating and, and that really opened me up to the sense of possibility, like, oh, I, I can choose things in my life that are supportive to me and that are, are, uh, are expressions of who I actually am. You know, I was also deeply lost about what the hell am I going to do with myself? You know, especially somebody who is so, who has always been so success and career driven, I don't know what I'm going to do. When I graduated from Georgetown, I was supposed to go to Georgetown Law. I was going to become a lawyer. That was what my all of my college prep was for. 
And I decided last minute not to go to Georgetown Law. So I've removed myself from the academic world, but I didn't have an answer in its place. And that caused a lot of pain and suffering and sense of hopelessness. So choosing to become an actor was kind of my way of rebelling as somebody in my early 20s in a way that somebody in high school would have probably rebelled uh, who had allowed themselves to have been a child earlier in their life. But because I had made that contract with myself, you have to treat school very seriously. I never really had a normal childhood. So I think that becoming an actor was like my way of rebelling against what my what the expectations were. And, um, and, uh, and so I moved to Los Angeles. And that first year in LA was easily the hardest year <laughs> of, my, of, of my life because... You know, you just wake up every morning realizing, oh, shit, this is not my, this is somebody's dream, but this is not my dream. This is not my dream. So uh, I I share all that because it's what led to then building on Evolution Eat and becoming an entrepreneur and really finding myself in life. All right, so let's talk about that. So now you um, you go through these different transitions and you decide that, you know, you've got a formula here and you want to create something that's going to help people. You, you're much more uh, benevolent in your thinking. It's not all about you. It's about helping helping other people. And you decide to create something called Evolution Eat. What is Evolution Eat and why did you start it? Uh, Evolution Eat is a transformational health coaching company that helps overwhelmed individuals master their diets and build healthy eating habits that last a lifetime. I got into, I started this work because people started asking me to coach them during this phase of my life when I was trying to figure everything out. I was in LA and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And the one constant throughout that time was my was 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 eating what we call the, the the paleo diet and just being very mindful about my health and my habits and uh, angering myself when when everything felt out of control on the outside. The one thing that I could depend on was how I was showing up for myself, at least with the health, the baseline. And so when people were coach when when people when when I started coaching people, I realized. that at a certain point, there's no level of information that will help somebody. It's not about the information. It's about our relationship with food, right? As I've talked about my relationship with food growing up, I realized that everybody has deeply emotional relationships with food. And so why do people succeed and then fail their diets? Well, because the diet only gives you information, right? And most diets at that give you the wrong information because they don't, they don't have, they, they, it comes from a place of restriction or it's all results oriented, right? So two things that are happening. Diets have you sacrifice learning in order to achieve results. So they don't, diets don't have you looking at the process of actually learning something. And and we have deeply emotional relationships with food. We all do. All people do because we're all emotional beings, right? We're all, we're all emotional beings, so we have emotional relationships with food. So just looking at a diet and the instructions of what to eat is never, is, is never enough. Because even if we're successful 
in that we lose weight or whatever, it doesn't help. We don't know anything else about ourselves. We haven't looked deeper into why do we depend on food? Why do we make choices that don't support us over and over and over again, even though we know better, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. You know, what we talked a little bit earlier about you being, you know, sort of like uh, an overachiever type, right? So what were the steps that got you from being addicted to stress to living a more fulfilled life like you're living now with Evolution Eat and all the other methodologies, methodologies that you've picked up through the years? Well, the number one thing was just was honestly was finding a sense of purpose in my life, you know? So the, the number one, the, the, the big context shift with everything was building Evolution 8. That pursuit activated everything inside of me. The competitive hard worker that, 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 was, who I, uh, that, that was who I was for my entire life, that activated in a way that like, had me feeling driven, but it came from a different place. It came from me building something that I cared about, you know, that and, and, and working with individuals one-on-one, which is where this started. I was just coaching people one-on-one and recognizing, oh, I have an impact on other people. Like this isn't just the Daniel show where everything I do in my life is about how I can further my own end, right? Capital S success. This is about me actually contributing to somebody else's life. And it started just one person at a time. But those two things, like recognizing that the work that I'm doing can really make a positive difference on somebody else and that I have an opportunity here to build something that could do that for a lot of people and to express these ideas that I'm just not seeing out in culture. I mean, clean eating has become very popularized, but still nobody has... There's no popular substitute for going on a diet, right? People want to lose weight. They want to become healthy. And they have diets that they can take on, but they don't, they still, there still isn't a process by which we, we build a lifestyle. And so that's my goal is to help people learn how to do this forever, not just get results, but be healthy, right? Like literally be healthy. And so those two, that that mission and the the and and the and the realization that that mission has an impact on people changed everything for me. That's awesome. All right, so we're going to move into the second half of the show, which is the art of fulfillment, and we're going to talk about some of the things that maybe you're doing that are outside of your business that are really leading to a level of fulfillment for you. So we're going to start with, are there any positions or opinions that in the last few years, and it could be way back if you want to, it doesn't have to be in the last few years, that you've changed your mind about substantially, where you've shifted your position or you've completely changed mind? I used to think this way, now I think this way. Yes. So my position about spirituality would be like the easy way of categorizing all this, but I, I hate that word because it has certain connotations that that people just unfortunately like latch onto and what I did as well. But being uh, open, my openness to there being something way more than what we can see, feel, and touch. I grew up, even though I grew up going to Catholic schools and, and in a Catholic home and so forth, I was incredibly cynical and, uh, and, and an atheist so that I rejected all of that. And, and I kind of just believed whatever I saw and it had me not, when you live that way, you, you 
to, it, it's hard to, for me, I'll speak just speak for myself. It was harder to find a deeper meaning in it all. You just kind of, it become, it's easy and I, it's easy to become nihilistic. And so in these past few years, since, um, since building the business and taking on meditation as a, as a, as a practice, that's very important to me and running down to the beach every morning where I do in, in Santa Monica, where I live, uh, and, and jumping in the water, which is my, my morning practice. I, I come in touch with, I'm so deeply aware of our relationship and connection to whatever it is you want to call it. I call it the universe. I just, there's something that's way bigger than, than what we can see. All right. So uh, random weird question. If you could spend one month anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? I would spend the month in my cabin, which is in Sequoia National Park, where I go once a month currently for about three to four days. I Every month I, I do this and I detach from the rest of the world. So no internet, no cell phones. I even make it a timeless experience. I literally put sheets on the clocks so that I don't know what time it is. And I just, I go by myself and uh, I, I do this to completely recharge. Um, I think that we need moments of uh, reprieve from all the technology and, and, and energy that we live inside of and on our, on our, in our lives. And I go there and I, and I, and I, I recharge and I also get to work on, I allow myself to work on one project that is deeply important to me, a writing project. And it's just incredible how brilliant you become when you have no distractions and when you have nothing to do other than allow your brain to be brilliant. If you can only go to one restaurant before you die, where would your last meal be? <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I would go to, uh, there's this amazing steakhouse here in Santa Monica called Boa Steakhouse. I think they have, they have them ab- around the country. And, the, and I would get the, the Cajun ribeye, which is just the tastiest damn steak in the entire world. And I would probably get about five of those. <laughs> it's awesome. I've been to Boa in Santa Monica. It's really cool. Yeah. All right. So we're going to wrap up with our rapid fire round of questions. It's basically a first thing that comes to mind rounds. What would your friends say is one of your superpowers? My abundance of energy. What's one of the things you're afraid of right now? Building the team. (laughs) Building the team. Being a leader for more and more people. What keeps you up at night? Oh, God. Just growing the company. Just, you know, yeah, getting, getting it out there as much as possible. What do people never ask you, but you wish they did? Uh, how are you doing? I, I think that people relate to me as somebody who who energizes everybody and puts a lot out there. And it'd be good to, yeah, it, sometimes you need, yeah, the other side of it as well. That's a very common answer I get from uh, from guests. What's, yeah. uh, what's the one thing that you want to get better at that's outside of your work? I am training right now for my first marathon, which is happening in about five weeks from now. And uh, I've never been a long distance runner at all. I've always been a sprinter and a lifter. And so long distance running for me is like a form of meditation. And 
it's really uncomfortable, but I'm, I'm finding peace in the discomfort and I'm really enjoying that. That's great. I did two of them. They're a lot of, they're a lot of fun and they're exactly what you just described. You're going to love it. You may not yeah. ever want to do it again, but you'll love it. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm excited. Thanks. What is the one book that you have reread the most? Well, uh, nonfiction, I would say, I would say The Art of Learning by Josh Waitzkin. Mm, the chess player, fiction. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chess player and uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just a brilliant, just a, God, just a brilliant piece of work on the, the process of learning. It, it's actually, it's highly influenced the way that I teach the material for, for, for Evolution Eats and the way that we go about building uh, a lifestyle and the skills therein and, and, and really finding joy in the, in the learning process itself and, and not overlooking that and, and taking a, a long-term approach to success versus the short-term quick fix that everybody's, that everybody's after. So The Art of Learning, nonfiction, and for fiction, because I'm a big fiction reader, uh, Leaving the Atosha Station by Ben Lerner. Not a very popular book, but uh, probably the funniest, smartest thing I have ever read in my entire life. Is, is Ben Lerner the chiropractor? No, no, no. He's okay. uh, he's a teacher in, in, in Brooklyn. Grew up in Kansas. Lives in lives in Brooklyn now. Okay, there's another chiropractor who's a famous author that people recommend his books. Okay, so different different Ben Lerner. All right. So yes. the last question is: we're going to change it up a little bit. What mm-hmm. one question would you like to ask me? What excites you? What excites me is coming as close as I can to my definition of of success. And that is doing what I want, when I want, with whomever I want, as often as I want. And so the closer I get to living that, the more excited I get. So for example, um, in about a month, I am going to be taking a four-month trip around Europe to live in Italy for a few months and Greece and Monaco and a bunch of other places. And I'm getting closer to being, being able to do that whenever I want. And uh, the second piece of that is I'm moving to your neck of the woods to Manhattan Beach when I get back from that four-month trip. Um, and I've always wanted to live in Southern California near the water. So that excites me. So anything that I'm doing that's moving me closer to that definition is what excites me. Wow, that's awesome, man. Congratulations on making those, uh, on making the choices <laughs> to, that would lead you uh, down that path. That is that's amazing. Thank uh, it you. Always, it, del- yeah, it delights me to, to hear when people are just giving themselves permission to do the thing that they want to do. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because <laughs> nobody's going to come and anoint you and say, hey, I give you permission <laughs> to go you know, to go live in Europe. Do you no. have uh, any final words, suggestions, or an ask for the people that are listening? The one thing that I want to say is uh, if people are listening to your show, I'm, I'm sure they're, 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 they're into to self-development and self-actualization, right? Yeah. And in this world which has done so many wonders for me, I find it interesting that people often overlook their health and they don't look at at their health journey as a form of self-development and of self-improvement and really of self-actualization. If you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, your, your physiology, your health is at the bottom. It's the baseline of all of your needs, right? So no matter how successful you get in life, if you're not working on your health, if you're not paying attention and, and sourcing yourself in that area, then you're missing the baseline. And no matter how good it gets, it's never going to get as good as it could be. 
I love it. What a beautiful way to end. I cannot thank you enough, Daniel Thomas Hines, for being on the show. It's not an S at the end. It's just Hind, right? Daniel just Hind. Yeah, just, not I, like the ketchup. I want to. Yeah, I want to add an S there. I don't know why, Daniel. It sounds better, but uh, that's it. It would be inaccurate. Well, listen, you could have been an actor with those three names. So uh, I know. I know. So yeah. so beautiful. So thank you again for being on the show. Thank you, Rob. I really appreciate it, and um, thank you for listening, everybody. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live. 